this is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series. Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ. Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Here we are with our guest, Stephen M. R. Covey. Thank you for being on the show, Stephen. You are welcome. Thank you, Joe and TJ. Excited to be with you. Thank you. This month, we are focused on trust and how to build a culture of trust in an organization. We also know that although trust is critical for success, it's not discussed all that often. This month, we wanted to take a deep dive into trust, and we thought of no one better um, than Stephen himself uh, to join us. So with that, TJ, why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about Stephen? I don't know that I need to tell our audience uh, more about Stephen, but we will anyway. Our guest this month is none other than Stephen M. R. Covey. He's a New York Times and number one Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Speed of Trust, which has been translated into 22 languages and has sold over 2 million copies worldwide. He's a co-author of the number one Amazon bestseller, Smart Trust. Stephen brings to his writings the perspective of a practitioner as he is the former president and CEO of the Covey Leadership Center, where he increased shareholder value by 67 times and grew the company to become the largest leadership development firm in the world. A Harvard MBA, Stephen co-founded and currently leads Franklin Covey's Global Speed of Trust Practice. He serves on numerous boards, including the Government Leadership Advisory Council, and he has been recognized with the Lifetime Achievement Award for the Top Thought Leaders in Trust from the advocacy group Trust Across America, Trust Around the World. Stephen is a highly sought after international speaker who has taught trust and leadership in 55 countries, including Italy, Spain, and Portugal, to business, government, military, education, healthcare, and NGO entities. Please welcome our guest, Stephen M. R. Covey. Okay, Stephen, we want to dive into the power and potential of trust. But first, we would like to know why the topic itself is so important to you. Um, you're the foremost expert, we believe, and so do so many others. Why, why write on trust? Why pick that as a topic to begin with? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and um, I'll tell you why, because I had my own personal experiences with this and the ahas with this um, when we had... When, when I was running Covey Leadership Center, we felt like we built a high trust team and company. And then we ended up merging with our arch competitor, you know, at the time, Franklin Quest. And we were competing in every dimension. And now we come together as Franklin Covey. And at first, um, there was kind of distrust everywhere, not because we were bad people, but because we'd been competitors. And now we're coming together and people weren't, weren't quite sure if they could trust. And, and when we came together, we saw without trust, everything slowed down. Everything took longer. Everything cost more. We were suspicious instead of creative. We were just coordinating instead of collaborating. We couldn't innovate near as well. And, and we started to realize the problem was we didn't trust each other. 
And, and the thing is, we had come from two separate high trust companies. And so um, we realized we have to overcome the competitive aspect of this. We're now partners. We're now combined. And, and so we focused on building trust on purpose. And, and we saw the impact of that, how it changed everything. And also that trust was learnable. It was buildable. And it was kind of this whole experience of, because I was the CEO, did the merger, saw suddenly half the company doesn't trust me. And, and I'm thinking, wait a minute. And, and, uh, and then we intentionally focused on building trust on purpose. And, and coming out of this, I became clear, trust matters because our performance was night and day different when we built the trust compared to when we didn't have it. And also that trust is learnable, it's movable. You can create it, you can grow it, you can expand it. You can even restore it in most cases when it's been lost, you can get good at this. And that was kind of a, a paradigm shift from the idea that you either have it or you don't. It's either there or it's not. And we say, no, we didn't have it, but we built it and we turned this into our greatest strength. And, and I realized that most of the stuff on trust had been either too academic or too simplistic. And I became inspired that if we could take a practical, tangible approach based upon principles, that there's a real need for this for leaders, for teams, for organizations everywhere. So that was the genesis. And I just kind of feel uh, drawn to this, called to this, and, and, and I'm passionate about it. And that's a great story too, to be able to tell where, you know, the trust wasn't there and you built the trust. It reminds me of the story of Pixar and Disney and Creativity Inc. and that merger. It's just a very um, awesome background to have with trust and seeing the absence of it. And I love that you said everything slowed down, right? And that's just the notion of that speed. Um, when we have the trust, everything speeds up. So thank you for that. Jumping back into the topic it, it's hard for us to believe, reconcile sometimes, but trust is something that so many people, whether it's business or at home, they get wrong, right? There's a paradox of, of trust and, and many people misunderstand it, but it's also the glue of all meaningful success um, in business and schools and our organizations. In the book, you identify the five waves of trust model to, to guide readers on how trust functions in our lives. We'd like to spend some time on the first wave, if you don't mind, which is self-trust. Um, why is self-trust so important to have and to, to, to develop? Because it's the foundation on which all other trust is built. And if we don't have self-trust to begin with, either if we don't trust ourselves, or if we don't give to our teammates or our partners or the people that we lead, a leader who they can trust, a partner they can trust, a team leader they can trust, then we'll never really ripple that trust out. And, and so we've got to always look in the mirror and, and start with ourselves. Do I trust myself? Do I give to my team a leader that they can trust? And if you, if you start there, then from that, you truly can now ripple out and build trust in relationships and then build trust on teams. But if there's not the self-trust, it's hard to build trust with others when you don't trust yourself or you're not trustworthy. And it's hard to build trust on a team if you don't have relationships of trust. And so it's, I call it inside out. And that's the idea of the five waves. It's kind of the ripple effect metaphor where the drop of water comes down and then it, it starts at the inside and ripples out into you know, different waves. And the very first wave is self-trust. And that precedes relationship trust, which precedes organizational trust, which precedes market trust, societal. But it's where you start. And the great thing about it is um, 
uh, TJ and Joe, is this. You can, it's in everyone's circle of influence. We, we can, because it starts with each of us, we can always do something about it versus kind of feeling like, hey, we'll never have trust until he changes or she changes, until they can become trustworthy. That needs to happen too, but where do you start? You look in the mirror and focus on your personal self-trust, your credibility. And that includes, you know, your character and your competence so that you're giving to others, a leader, a partner, a teammate that they can trust. That's the idea of trust starting. All trust starts with self-trust. Very powerful, Stephen. Thank you. And we couldn't agree more that really this resides within the individual. And for anything great to happen, you have to be able to trust yourself, whether it's integrity, honor, and so on. Shifting gears a little bit, um, we wanted to ask you, no doubt these are very challenging times, socially, politically, and TJ and I discuss very often the lack of trust that exists on a whole. If you were able to send everyone a message regarding trust, and that was able to enter their homes, they were able to hear it, what would that message be? Okay, I'm going to give the message in two, two parts of the message. The first would be this, that, that trust and the ability to build and create and grow trust is the one thing that changes everything. Think about it. The best relationships, the happiest relationships, the most enduring relationships are where people can trust each other. The best leadership is when the leader is trusted and has the trust of his or her people and they of him or her. The best um, teams are those who trust each other and have high trust on the team. A high-performing team starts with trust. You know, Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team. The first dysfunction is low trust because if that's not there, it's hard to have a team. The best organizations in terms of their culture are, is when the culture is based upon a high trust, a high trust culture. And so, and so I can apply this just at a personal level, at a leadership level, at an organizational level. And the point is, if you get good at trust, it'll make you better at everything else that you're trying to do. It's high leverage. It's truly the one thing that changes everything. And most people haven't really thought about that, but to kind of just assume trust, take it for granted. But like you said, we're operating increasingly in a low trust world where the trust is going kind of down all around us. And the danger of a low trust world is that it tends to perpetuate itself. We all become a little bit more careful, cautious, guarded, because none of us want to get burned. And people respond back a little bit more careful, cautious, guarded. And we can find ourselves perpetuating this vicious downward cycle where distrust and suspicion are creating more distrust and suspicion and everyone feels justified in the process. See, distrust is contagious. But thankfully, so is trust. And trust and confidence can create more trust and confidence to become a virtuous upward spiral. And so if people can become aware that this is not just some nice, soft, warm and fuzzy, <laughs> kind of nice to have social virtue. Now, this is the essence of life, the essence of relationships, the essence of great teams, great organizations. And there's economic and financial impact to trust, as well as great leadership impact and, and what it does to 
to, you know, to a culture with energy and joy. It's so much energizing and more fun when there's trust. It's exhausting, no fun when there's not trust. And if people can see, trust really changes everything. I call it putting on the trust glasses and suddenly you see the world through the lens of trust and, and you realize this is the one thing that changes everything. So that'd be the first is the, the awareness of how vital trust in, is in all our lives. And the second thing that would go along with it would simply be, and you know what? You can build trust on purpose. You can move the needle, no matter where you're starting, you can actually build it through your credibility and through your behavior and ripple from the inside out, those five waves, starting with self-trust and ripple out and get good at this. And so those are the, that's the message. Trust impacts everything in profound ways and it's learnable. We can get better at this. Fantastic. And, and leaders love that, right? Because now it's a skill and it's something that we can get better at. It becomes a competency. And it, it reminds me of your 13 high trust behaviors, which we, which we love and, and we use um, in, on our teams. If you could talk a bit about that, just though from a strategic standpoint, per, my personal favorites are straight talk and clarify expectations, because I think some of those are the paradoxical aspect of what we think when we're building a relationship. But if you could say something about extending trust, because you said like, when we slow things down, it's because people are careful, it's, they're cautious. How do you extend trust? What would that look like if you're a leader? Yeah, you know, all 13 behaviors are great. I can get excited about each of them. But I'll tell you what, the one I love the most is that 13th behavior, extend trust. And let me tell you why. If I do the first 12 behaviors, and these are things for our listeners, these are things like, talk straight, demonstrate respect, create transparency, you know, clarify expectations, practice accountability, listen first, keep commitments. They're, they're, they're intuitive, they're self-evident, they're common sense. When you see the 13, you'll get them instantly. They're common sense, but they're not common practice. So you got to get good at these. But those first 12, they'll make you a more trusted person, a more trusted uh, leader, administrator, but it's this 13th behavior, extending trust, that makes you a trusting leader. And it's not enough to just be trustworthy as leaders. We have to start there. And that's our, our character, our competence, you know, that self-trust, the credibility. It's also those first 12 behaviors. That makes you trustworthy. But this extending trust, being not just trustworthy, but trusting being willing to give trust and to extend trust and to trust other people. And we need people to be more trusting. And, and the best leaders are both trustworthy and trusting. And I've worked with many leaders that are trustworthy, but aren't trusting. In fact, I'll give you an education example, and then I'll give you a business one, but an education example of where I saw this, you know, this very trustworthy person. He was a principal of a school, very trustworthy. And he actually understood leadership, taught it in a, as an adjunct professor on the side. So in some ways he knew everything about leadership, but he wasn't trusting. He was trustworthy, but not trusting. And so he wasn't able to empower his people and, and teams. And he kind of micromanaged and controlled versus releasing and unleashing people. And so um, even though he was a good person and, and he, you know, people felt, a sense of honor. They didn't feel inspired by him. They didn't feel unleashed by him. They didn't feel developed by him. 
and he left so much value. The, the gap between performance and potential was enormous. And what happened is the culture kind of started to lose energy and joy and they started to lose all kinds of teachers and others that just didn't want to be part of that culture when, when there's low trust, when no one is, when, when the leader's not trusting. And so it's not enough to be trustworthy. That's your starting point. We also have to be trusting. And that's what that 13th behavior is, extending trust, giving trust, because trust is both earned and given. And you earn it through your character and your confidence, but you need to give it. You need to extend it. You need to be trusting as well as trustworthy. That's the idea. Same thing in business. I see it all the time um, where you might have a trustworthy leader that's not trusting. But you, And what will happen is it's not a bad place, but you're just leaving so much value on the table. There'll be a huge gap between the, what they're able to do, their performance and their potential, the possibilities, what could happen. And, you know, so it's not a one size fits all where you just indiscriminately trust everyone and everyone you know, without expectations or accountability, that would be a blind trust. It needs to be a smart trust. But I think this is maybe the greatest lead need of leadership today is to be more trusting. And, and someone needs to go first. Leaders go first. And yes, there's a risk in trusting other people, but there's also a risk in not trusting other people. And I think in our world today, not trusting is the greater risk. And so be smart about it, but we need more trust and we need more trusting leaders to go along with being trustworthy. Incredibly powerful message, Stephen. A, a, a few things resonated immediately when you extended to trusting versus the trust, speed clicked in immediately. And, and so I appreciate that. And I think that'll resonate um, with our audience quite a bit. Um, if you wouldn't mind saying we could get personal uh, a little bit as well, you know, trust affects all of our lives and you've accomplished uh, so much um, as a leader, as an author, continue to speak around the globe and influencing people. Um, what's one thing that you try to do on a daily basis um, to improve yourself, to grow as a leader, and really a, as a person. So much of what you write and speak about is being a better human being, period. You know, what, what's something you do on a daily basis uh, to grow? Here's what I try to do. I don't always do it great, but I try. Um, I try to, you know, using my father's work around seven habits, I try to sharpen the saw. And that is renew myself in all dimensions of my life, body, heart, mind, spirit. And the whole premise is that, you know, as human beings, we're whole people. And, and um, you know, we don't just have a back and hands. We have a heart and a mind and a spirit. We have a desire for meaning and purpose and contribution. And so we have to nurture the whole person and we have to, you know, is, you know, not just motivate, but inspire because we're whole people. And, and so I try to every day do, um, again, this is my father's term, you know, to have a daily private victory uh, where, where I kind of renew myself. Um, I try to physically around exercise, emotionally trying to connect to the people that are closest to me and that I love and value the most, connect with them mentally, intellectually, you know, around learning, improving, always trying to get better, not just resting and, and thinking I know a lot. Even in a changing world, everything is shifting so fast. So I got to constantly learn. 
and and um, and then finally spirit, meaning a desire for meaning and purpose, and to have integrity, you know, and and to be integrated. And so I try to renew myself around my values and what's important to me, and and just a little bit of time every day. And but it's the type of thing that if you don't make the time for it, it won't happen, because you have to be deliberate about it and intentional, because you know it's you have to act on it. it it won't just come at you. And so, so I try to every day have a daily private victory and, and, you know, with the physical, the social, emotional, the mental, the spiritual, and it's not all together, always at once. It's sometimes spread throughout, but I'm always trying to renew myself in those four ways. That's, that's inspirational in and of itself. We love the seven habits and sharpen the soul is, is, is one of those that, that that's how Joe and I got started with this is just making sure that we were uh, running and, and, and getting better and having a hobby. Um, you mentioned your father and you mentioned the, the, the book. Is there an, an, another person or group who you follow for either knowledge or inspiration? Um, and maybe where could we find them? Yeah. You know, um, there's so many great sources and opportunities, um, but I'll tell you one that I think is uh, tremendous is a uh, Doug Conant and his group is Conant leadership. He's the former president and CEO and chairman of the Campbell soup company. And he took them from, you know, they were, when he took over, they were among the bottom in the world in, engagement in their culture you know huge company huge brand iconic right campbell soup company they were in the bottom for engagement he moved them to the top world class and what followed was they also went from low performance to high performance too so you know it wasn't just the culture it was also the performance and he took them you know from low from the bottom to the top in both dimensions and and uh, so he really did it the right way and and um and he, you know, since leaving Campbell Soup Company, he's created his own leadership approach and methodology, and he's really insightful. He's a practitioner, you know, kind of like you two, you, you know, you, that, that are also kind of leading and teaching leadership. And that gives you more credibility when, when you're in the arena as well. And Doug has been in the arena at the highest levels. He also was president of Nabisco and chairman of Avon. And, you know, and he's had all these leadership roles and responsibilities. So he's a practitioner who's also a thought leader and he's got great insight into leadership. He's got a new, uh, his first book was Touch Points. His uh, most recent book is called The Blueprint. And it's all about building a leadership blueprint for each person and helping them do it themselves. And, and he's a great leadership thinker, uh, one of the best I, I know of, and I follow him and I'm, I'm good friends with him too. I'll, I'll say that so that I'm clear that this is someone that I consider a friend and he's a remarkable thought leader and practitioner. And it's rare you have that combination. He's one of them. So Conant Leadership, C-O-N-A-N-T. Thank you. We'll definitely refer back to uh, Conant Leadership in the show notes and reference the the work, the books and the works as well. Um, and I, I, what you're saying seem really resonates with us as practitioners and leaders. TJ and I will even often get asked, you know, how do you have time for this? And we see it now as a must. It makes us better in our day jobs. This is different than going to a grad school. This is us really looking to learn from other people 
not only with one another and iron sharpens iron, but learning and growing and I'll, you know, in total transparency, I'd not heard of Doug. And so this is the beauty. He'll now become a part of my life and all of our listeners' lives and we'll be the better for it. So that's the beauty of, of these type of platforms. Um, and so Beautiful. with that, Stephen, what's one thing um, that you want to know or be able to do that you don't do already? <laughs> Well, honestly, um, I wish I could sing. <laughs> See, I love, I love music. I love, uh, you know, the, the, I love symphonies. I, I love music. I go to concerts, you know, not, not recently, obviously, with what's going on with the pandemic and the like, but, but uh, I love to go to musicals. But then I come home, I, I, I go see Hamilton. I come home, I got a teenage daughter and then I start to sing <laughs> the Hamilton song, My Shot. And I, you know, and, and she's just like, oh, dad, quit, stop it, stop it. You're ruining it. And, and uh, so I have a great appreciate, I have a gift to, to appreciate music. I have no gift to be able to, uh, you know, play or sing music. And, and uh, but my mother could sing well and, and uh, but skipped a generation with me and, and, uh, and so that's a kind of a, just a fun thing. And I get teased about it all the time from my, my family that, you know, when it comes time to sing, everyone's like, oh no, don't let dad do it. Or don't, you know, and, and uh, um, I would love to be able to do it, but it's not a natural gift or talent, but I do think I have a natural talent to appreciate music. And maybe because I appreciate it so much, I have a, secret longing that I wish I could do it. I've tried to take some lessons, but I don't think it's in me <laughs> like other things might be. And uh, so I'm going to run with my appreciation for music, but it sure would be nice to be able to sing. That's awesome. And maybe singing is a little bit like trust. It's not that you have it or you don't, you can learn to get better at it through practice. I think I could. And, and, and so I, I just got to let my daughter know that it's, it's learnable. I could get better. It may not be uh great, but I could move up the needle. Yeah, that's fun. A lot of times when we ask that question, we do hear something about the arts or something about um, languages. So it's very interesting to hear you say that. Um, you talked already about sharpening the saw, but what's one thing that has led to or continues to support your growth as a leader? Something maybe others could replicate, but like with what you, you attribute as, as something that leads to your leadership growth? It's kind of like what the two of you are talking about, how, you know, we, we can learn so much from so many and the world is changing all around us with, you know, the, the nature of the world is changing with technology and disruption, disruptive technologies and, and the pace of change, the amount of change, so much change hitting us. The nature of work itself is changing, you know, both where and what, and it's more collaborative service-based and anywhere increasingly, even in education, as well as all kinds of other ways, the nature of the workforce is changing with, you know, younger generations with new expectations, the nature of choices changing with more, um, you know, more choices and options. I, I say we've gone from finite choice to infinite choice. So all these changes are hitting us. So we've got to stay kind of changing faster than the changes around us to stay relevant. And, and so the need to constantly learn, improve, get better, 
And like, like you were saying earlier uh, that, you know, Joe, when you said that, hey, we don't see this as something nice to do. We see this as vital to, to focus on leadership development so that we can do well our roles as leaders. And it's a similar thing. I, I feel a need to constantly stay current and abreast around the practices and the, and the principles and the paradigms of leadership in a changing world where everything is shifting and changing right in front of us. And so my practice, you know, the one thing I try to do is constantly learn um, in my field and outside my field. And I use it, I do it through, um, through audio, through books on tape, through speeches, through podcasts. You're, you're, you know, the very thing you're doing, the one series, pod, one thing series podcast is a great example. And there's so many great podcasts today. And, and, um, and so many great learning opportunities and it's all captured on audio and sometimes on video too. And, and, but you can watch it so I can exercise and, and, uh, and listen to something that's inspiring to me where I learn and, and, um, or, or, or listen to a book on tape. And I just find I do a whole lot more because of the fact that it's on audio. So I think the new medium, you know, the new media podcasts and audio and all its different forms is an extraordinary learning opportunity for all of us to sharpen the saw and not just that, but to truly, you know, create and recreate and reinvent ourselves and stay relevant and current, you know, on, on my speed of trust model, it's that that's capabilities to, to keep my capabilities fresh and relevant in a changing world. And, and, you know, and so I think we have the tools to do that like never before with audio and all its forms, including what you do here with the one thing series podcast. It's a great example of it. We appreciate that. And we couldn't agree more with the audio. Uh, we even one reason why we try to keep our podcast to a certain length of time is because it fits in the average commute and yeah. it's just, everything is designed in a way to fit in someone's space and better them and really take advantage of certain, certain aspects of their life. Stephen, our, our final question, and you've mentioned a lot just, just in that last answer about shifting and changing. And it's interesting because, you know, true truth and honesty and really trust is one of those, um, you know, those North uh, point type um, values. And is there something in your own life, something that you used to think that you don't think anymore? Yeah, it's all around kind of the whole viewpoint I had of trust before I had these experiences that kind of shifted my paradigm. And it would be the idea, maybe I'll give two in the one, but it was a shift around trust is the one. And the shift took place in two ways. First, that before I thought trust was just this nice, soft, warm and fuzzy social virtue. Now I realize trust is an economic driver and it's the number one competency of leadership needed today. Why? Because it multiplies every other competency and makes it better. And so it's all about both performance and culture. And, and you know, not just this warm and fuzzy idea. And I kind of thought, you know, I was always in favor of trust. Everyone was. I thought it was a nice thing. I've learned it's indispensable. It is trust is the new currency of our world today. And it certainly is for any leader. And that's kind of a shift. I, I valued it before, but I, I underestimated it. And I can't put enough value on it now. That's why the subtitle of my book fits nicely with your podcast. 
trust the one, you know, the speed of trust, the one thing that changes everything. So that'd be the first. And the second would simply be the flip side that trust is learnable. I used to think you either have it or you don't. It's either there or it's not. And I learned, no, that's your starting point. But in the same way that you can lose trust and diminish it through your behavior, you can also consciously, deliberately grow it, create it, expand it, extend it, in some cases, even restore it through your behavior. You can build trust on purpose, intentionally. That is a paradigm shift. That is not either have it or don't. No, trust is a learnable skill. And that's a big shift for me. So my shift is all around trust. That it, you know, it's, it changes everything and it's learnable. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic. And that is a great place to end here. Simple strategies, lots of nuggets of wisdom for our listeners. Always the key. Joe and I always say that leadership might be complex, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Stephen, is there anything else that you would like to add today for the listeners? I would just say this, that it's a low trust world all around us. And it's easy to kind of say, gosh, how do you build trust in this kind of environment? Might be in your, in your company, your organization, your school, your district, your, your healthcare group, whatever it might be. But I like to say this is that while, um, you know, that, that we need more trust in our world, not less. We need models who can become mentors. And while it takes two or more people to have trust, it only takes one person to start. And each of us can be that one. So don't wait on others. Look in the mirror, start with yourself and give to others a person they can trust and let it ripple out starting from yourself, from each of us. If we can all do that, we'll begin to have a ripple effect on society. And, and it can be overwhelming, but I'll just work in my circle of influence and work on me, my relationships, my team, my culture, and let it ripple out from there. That would be my advice. Well, thank you for that. There you have it, folks. The call to action. If you're a leader, start now. Start with trust. Pick yourself. Don't wait. Another great podcast. Don't forget to follow our blog at theschoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, and video blogs, always on the topic of leadership. And we hope you enjoyed this One Thing series on trust and so much more. Thank you, Stephen, for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you, TJ. Thank you, Joe. Great to be with you. What an honor. Mm-hmm.